we're always going to be stressed we're always going to be busy but it's being able to switch between the two that's where the true sort of performance lies if you're constantly in a central executive network function by problem solving being at work stressing on your phone and then you go home to bed and that's only the time that you switch on the dmn default mode network all of those kind of thoughts they all come kind of crashing down you can snap that habit and go oh, actually yes i can remember yes i'm doing something really negative right now but that's okay because i can turn it into something positive i have the choice my name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. Today on the podcast, neuroscientist and performance coach Nicole Vignola on how to change your brain so that you can change your life. All right, Nicole, I want to start by saying how much I love your message. Your work essentially says that you are not stuck in life. First of all, how do so many people think they are stuck in life and how is this the program that that so many of us have? Ooh, tough question to answer, <laughs> but I, I starting think, strong. Yeah, I know. I love it. I think a lot of people don't realize that the brain is plastic. So I don't know. I think, you know, before I started studying, studying neuroscience, I think I also had that belief that once you reach a certain age, you just kind of are the way you are. But, you know, we gain a lot of knowledge on how our parents behave through the world and then, you know, how our peers behave and sort of the environment that we're in growing up. And then we gain this knowledge on how we should operate. And that kind of shapes us, which is quite scary when you think about it, because you're being shaped by somebody else, essentially. Then you become an adult and you're like, OK, well, I've got all these you know things that I'm supposed to be doing. But, you know, the way that I've seen my family do it. But really, you can actually be essentially whoever you want. You know, obviously different circumstances dictate different things in your life. But if you want to change thought patterns, habits, behaviors, even beliefs, we can change them because we know now that the brain can make new synapses, we can make new connections and we can rewire, you know, some things are harder than others, of course, but we can absolutely create new pathways in the brain. So, you know, I still sometimes speak about neuroscience and people are like, wow, I'm so mind blown. And, um, you know, that's the message that I'm giving out. So I kind of, not that I forget how important it is, but I, I love still hearing people being kind of amazed that that's a thing yeah. and then knowing it, it empowers people, right? It's so interesting that so many are amazed by this. Why isn't it common knowledge? And when you convince people to want to change their lives, they think it's so hard. And it's science. It's it's really now as we're discovering, it's not. So how do you convince people that it's possible to change? Yeah. Well, you know, plasticity only really became a thing like roughly around the 60s and then more popular around the 90s when we started discovering the mechanisms as to how we sort of making new pathways. So, you know, even up until the 50s, 60s, plasticity wasn't a thing. So if all the research that was kind of trying to make this groundbreaking discovery and and say that it's true, like the, the scientists were shunned. They were kind of like, no, no, no. So they were writing papers in a way that kind of was implying plasticity, but didn't actually ever use the word plasticity, you know, so not to get in trouble. And so I think it's still a fairly new thing, I, I think. And I think that people are starting to come around to it. And I think, you know, social media is such a great thing. You know, it has its detriments, but I think it also has a lot of positivity where we can learn that, you know, there's... A, I don't know if I'm biased because I obviously follow a lot of accounts that inspire me, like you, for example, you know, so... I know that it, for me, in your, uh, you know, Instagram can be educational and I see it in people that are constantly trying to learn and I have people constantly trying to ask questions and, you know, now I'm writing a book and I've, you know, there's so many, I've connected with so many other people that are writing similar books. So yeah, I think it's slowly changing. I think we're starting to realize that actually the power is within us and we can absolutely, you know, create new habits and change habits if we wanted to. Amazing. Yeah. So let's bring it back. Why study the brain? What was your inspiration? I don't know. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. I just, I've always been fascinated with the brain. My neighbor was a doctor 
and I wanted to study medicine, but I wanted to do neuroscience with medicine. So I was always quite fascinated. I remember I was like 14 and I once started tying my hair in a different way. And I've been doing my hair with, I can't even remember, but I remember this thought quite vividly. I was in the mirror and I changed the way that I did my hair. And I sort of only noticed about a week later and I went, why, why didn't I do my hair? the same way that I did before anymore so obviously things have been influencing me which I know sounds so like kind of mundane and a bit boring but I was fascinated by the fact that I had just changed my the way that I did my hair without even realizing it and I never really got to the bottom of why <laughs> but it's it's obviously probably through like maybe my friends doing their hair differently but I remember it not being a decision and it was just kind of something that I did and that's when I started sort of questioning like how we think, how we create habits, like how do we become who we are and what kind of power do we have in, in dictating who we are. So kind of made it my life mission to push those boundaries and, you know, it's changed biases and ideas. And I, I, yeah, I'm a big sort of believer in trying to make, not make people see different perspectives but I think it's a really important aspect of life is being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes and maybe understand different perspectives and 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 essentially not remain stuck like you said in our own biases you know because we have a bias for everything we have a belief about everything and being able to mold that and shape that and take other facts into consideration and say oh actually maybe I was wrong I think is a really important sort of factor in life and I think that that is why I was so fascinated with the brain is like you know the behaviors between humans and the connection and interactions mm -hmm. it's a bit vague but yeah <laughs> no no for sure did you have to go through a personal journey as well like was there a big kind of transformation that you've gone through with even just one belief example per se yeah oh my god huge 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 I like I think I'm a completely different person. And I think this is why I resonate with you because I feel like when you post content, you've made a you know pivotal shift in your life. And, you know, 20 year old me is a completely different person to 31 year old me. And that kind of came as a coincidence because I've moved to Bristol to study neuroscience. I moved out of London. I was living there for seven years. And my sort of long-term partner at the time was supposed to come with me. And three days into being in a new city, no friends, no nothing, like, you know, going to university as a 26-year-old as well was quite scary. I had to learn how to sort of restudy everything as well. He dumped me over the phone. We've been together for three years. So, yeah, <laughs> not great, wow. but also, like, yeah. completely necessary for me to actually, like, just completely shift my life because it was a very toxic relationship you know I had very low self-esteem low, very low self-worth I mean especially now when I look back I'm like damn I can't believe I actually did all those things for you know a guy and so yeah I, I completely changed I mean I, I I was in a very dark place obviously I was like you know, I didn't know anyone I was very alone I was, the break was really hard but it forced me to kind of shift out of this shell I suppose and you know, in a way, become my own best friend, if you will. And I went to a lot of yoga and I just did a lot of things for me to really figure out who I was. Because when I was living in London, I was sort of partying a lot, drinking loads, like constantly, like I can't be alone on a Friday night or I can't do, you know, I can barely sit with my own thoughts. So just constantly being around people, you never really get to learn who you are without anyone else around. So having spent so much time by myself and then, you know, sub subsequently and coincidentally studying neuroscience as well, I was kind of on this project of myself. But whilst, you know, being backed by, well, I was learning at university, which was kind of perfect timing, like divine intervention, really. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I love learning about the science of personal development. There are so many different pillars to it. Some people go the very spiritual route. Some people just talk about energy and manifestation. And then other people really just focus on the actual brain chemistry changes, the neuroplasticity, the yeah. reprogramming of the RAS. Like there's, there's such a, people can say it in so many different languages, but at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is that you can change your life. You can change your beliefs. You can yeah. change 
who you used to be. Yeah. So empowering. And I think having done so much yoga, I, I definitely went down a very spiritual route and I still am very spiritual personally. Yeah. So it's it's nice for me to combine the sort of two because obviously yeah. I believe in science, absolutely. Yeah. But I also believe in the things that, you know, we can't necessarily explain because, you know, up until the 50s, I just told you we didn't believe in synaptic plasticity and how we can change the brain. So, you know, there's so much out there to be known. And there's actually a really famous quote by, do you know Carl Sagan? He was an astrophysicist. No. Great guy. Yeah. Look him up. He's, he's passing Carl Sagan. What's his name? Sagan. Carl Sagan. Yeah. And he basically, Sagan, yeah. yeah, he said somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. Yeah. And that kind of stuck with me forever because I was like, there's always something to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And that I do believe in the things that we can't yet explain. So yeah, I, I, I kind of mixed the spiritual side, the yoga, the things that you can't explain, you know, the maybe we can, but I haven't gone down that route, you know, just even like the human connection of being in a room with people that you can resonate with is so important. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to dive into you in this podcast. (laughs) So I'm going to move to the next section here. I want to pick your brain about so much, but first of all, so you do executive coaching for corporate leaders. How do you apply neuroscience to your work And I'd love to kind of drill it down to the most common issues that leaders want help with. So for example, let's start with the first one, increasing productivity and reducing procrastination. Can we just talk about that for a moment? Because whether or not someone listening is a corporate leader, I think this can apply to pretty much everyone. Everyone. We all struggle with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so in terms of what I do is I, I actually don't do that much coaching at the moment because I'm obviously writing the book, but I sort of look at things from a physiological perspective. So kind of like if the brain is the hardware and the mental health is the software, I'm making sure that the, the brain health, the hardware is in perfect condition so that we can make changes, so that we can, you know, improve mental health. I'm not a therapist, so I don't really delve uh, not really, I don't delve down sort of roots, you know, of, um, you know, ex- exploring previous past, etc. None, none of that kind of stuff. I'm looking at, obviously, as a coach perspective and from neuroscience perspective, because I'm not clinically trained. But we, we do everything from genetic testing to blood work, just to see how people are functioning. And that's why I tend to work with either sort of executives or athletes, because I'm looking for those people that want to improve that extra 5% in their life that already have a lot of the things in place or not necessarily have them, but want to have them in place because I can't give people counsel on uh, their mental health, you know, to some extent and scope, I obviously can and I can support, but it's it's more of like a performance aspect. So exactly like improving performance, improving procrastination. The reason I do the blood work and the genetic testing is just to see, you know, where and where sort of we can improve in their life based on their actual physiology. So, you know, I have clients that have, you know, mutations in their clock genes. So the way that they we all have mutations, so this is not uncommon. We all have something that's a little bit, you know, and I put off in inverted commas, but it's, it's not normal for us all, but you sort of have a perfect genome. But so like, you know, some clients will be super sensitive to daylight schedules. So they have to be really on top of their sleep schedules because if they don't, then they don't sleep very well. Or I've got clients that have, you know, allergies or need to supplement more omega-3 or they're deficient in vitamin D. And, you know, vitamin D, for example, is such a huge contributor to our mental health. People attribute it to bone density which is obviously correct but there's also a huge aspect to mental capacity in vitamin d absorption and transportation so then i also have some clients who for example i know i'm getting a bit detailed now but just to give you the scope of how detailed this can get is like some clients might not have a vitamin d deficiency but they have a deficiency in the way that they sorry they might not have um problems in the vitamin d absorption but they might have problems in the way that they transport it through the body as an example so they're supplementing vitamin d but it's not really going anywhere because it's being absorbed but it's not being transported so that's kind of how I work I look at the physiology yeah I once read that with vitamin d it's better to get the injections is that true I am not sure I haven't looked at any literature on that but that would make sense I'll have to think about that and get back to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me know. Uh, That was just something that came off the top of my head because I did do a lot of blood work four or five months ago and I was low in vitamin D and Mm. my doctor I went to in Miami, he gave me like an injection of vitamin D. 
yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to know if that was snake oil or not. Yeah, probably faster absorption. You know, the way that we metabolize things as well is is all you know contributing to different factors. So, you know, that's what I. It's kind of like the base. Not everyone has to do the genetic testing if they don't want to, but it's the ones that kind of want to really get into it. I can give them a really personalized sort of outlook on what they can and can't do with improving function. Then I would say that a lot of people struggle with phone use, to be honest, and switching off. A lot of people, this is perfect for your app because most people don't know how to switch from any state. Now, my sort of belief, my ethos, whatever it is, is that we're always going to be stressed and we're always going to be busy, but it's being able to switch between the two. That's where the true sort of performance lies, because if you can have a super stressful day at work, but then come home and switch off from it, you're going to have the best of both worlds, right? But if you then carry that stress into your life, that's when things get, you know, tricky, stuff with chronic stress. So, it's the switching off part that I think most people struggle with. And now we live in a world, this is what my research is about at the moment. We live in a world where we have caffeine, we've got cigarettes, we've got phones, we've got TV, we've got, you name it, we've got so much distraction. And how often do we go in and check in on ourselves? Probably not that often. And then what happens is people get into bed and now the whole sort of, all of it comes crashing down. They start ruminating, they start thinking about their day, they start you know, worrying because they haven't actually had a time to do that in the daytime. We have two networks in our brain. So we've got, well, we've got more than two, but we've got two major networks in our brain. One is the central executive network that's responsible for outward thinking, planning, problem solving, external stimuli that are affecting you. And then we've got the default mode network. That's a place of internal thought, mind-wandering creativity. So, you know, those thoughts are kind of run in the background. You're not thinking about anything. You kind of think in those thoughts when you're like washing the dishes or you're driving. That's, that's the default mode network that's active. Now, those two networks aren't switched on at the same time. They switch on in tandem. So when one's on, the other one's off. So if you're constantly in a central executive network function by problem solving, being at work, stressing, on your phone, and then you come home, you have conversations with your family, and then you go home to bed, and that's only the time that you switch on the DMN, default mode network, all of those kind of thoughts, this is my you know, uh, belief is that they all come kind of crashing down you know for lack of a better term I put that in inverted commas for anyone that's listening and not watching but they kind of crash down and that's when people lie in bed they ruminate they can't sleep and actually a lot of sleep problems come with the anxiety attached to it so most people struggle to sleep I can't remember the stats but people tend to struggle to sleep because they have anxiety about money about problems about to-do lists they haven't done about the things that their boss said to them so for me, teaching clients how to switch off from that, like completely switch off. Yes, your boss is upset with you. Yes, you've got bills to pay. Yes, you crashed your car. How can we optimize you so that you can switch off from that so that the next day, because you're not going to be able to do anything about it at nine o'clock at night. Hopefully, anyway, most things you can't. I mean, if you can, they can probably wait until tomorrow. There's only a very few dire things that absolutely need to be done before you go to bed. Obviously, there's a caveat to that because I always believe that what you can do in the day before, don't leave it until the next day, but not maybe at nine o'clock at night. So it's teaching my clients how to shift from state to state, teaching them the mechanisms and the tools that they can use to regulate regularly throughout the day. And then obviously meditating as well. So having that time in the day where they can switch off, close their eyes, you know, put on if they have an app like yours, it's perfect because it's a guided meditation that they can just sort of it's about implementing that as well. So that's mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I do <laughs> in oh, a nutshell. Gosh, there's so much gold in here. So what I'm hearing and the original question was about, you know, increasing productivity, let's say, and optimizing your optimal self, right? Yeah. What I'm hearing here is that the distractions in our life and how we're not taking enough time to not be numbed by our distractions is actually what is holding us back from feeling this optimized, energized, motivated state. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, you have a sort of limited amount of energy expenditure throughout the day. You know, we can't quantify that. But, you know, if you think about it, if you're investing time and energy into the things that don't matter, like scrolling on social media for an hour, then 
I don't know, wasting time on TikTok and then wasting time on YouTube and then watching TV, you know, and I personally don't believe there's anything wrong with any of those things in moderation. It's when they take over our lives and we're sort of like passively just kind of like wasting time and choosing to put our energy into stuff like that, worrying about someone else's body on Instagram, worrying about someone else's life and not yours. That's when you start taking energy away from your own life and what you can then put into it. So then your productivity goes down because your focus has gone down because you've been on Instagram for an hour. So now your brain hasn't had a chance to recover. It's just constantly activated but slowly, 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 that sort of it's called vigilance decrement. Your ability to stay focused just goes down and down and down and down and down. And what should happen is that people should take proper mental recoveries throughout the day where they completely switch off from external stimuli. So it can be going for a walk. It can be going, you know, to, I don't know, wash the dishes. It could be ideally meditation or something along those lines, self-hypnosis. Some of this can really help you shut down so that you can then sort of re-energize energy allocation for the brain so that you can then go on to the afternoon and continue to make sound decisions. Because, you know, by the end of the day, you're irritable, you're tired, you're stuck sort of not making really good decisions. This is kind of like the cutoff time from when I do podcasts, like 4.35 is kind of like my limit because by six o'clock I'm talking nonsense. I've had podcasts with people in sort of uh, like uh, LA later in the evening where I'm like, I read it, I listen to it back and I'm like, what am I saying? (laughs) Because, you know, we're tired. The brain is like, it's kind of like, you know, you need to go to sleep at some stage and then the brain kind of acts in the same way. So how bad is mindless scrolling for hours and hours on social media for you? I would say this is complete, and I just need to highlight this, completely my anecdotal projection of what could happen in the future. If we have a constant dopaminergic activation, so you're constantly able to get get your attention grabbed by something else, and you don't have the ability to You know, I remember when I was young, I used to come home from school and I'd lie in my bed and daydream. I haven't done that in years. That's a kind of meditation, isn't it? So the inability to kind of think for yourself and I, you know, that's a sort of dodgy statement because obviously we can think for ourselves, but constantly having an influence is quite damaging, I believe. But what my biggest concern is that, you know, we we don't fully understand how dementia and Alzheimer's. So dementia is an umbrella term for Alzheimer's and vascular dementia and other types of dementia. So we don't fully understand how these things you know, develop. We have genetic predispositions, but we also have non-genetic predispositions. Now in the UK, I'm not entirely sure about the US and Canada, but 99 in 100 cases of Alzheimer's disease are not the inherited type. So they are not the ones that carry the APO4 gene that encode for um, Alzheimer's. So our lifestyle factors, you know, are potentially driving us towards uh, neurodegeneration. So my concern is that if you're constantly dopaminergic, constantly activated, constantly needing that quick reward, quick kind of, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you kind of like, you don't have your phone with you, you left it at home or it's gone flat and you just automatically reach into your pocket. I've done that so many times. I did that today because I was at lunch and I could feel myself just going into my bag. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Well, I know why I'm doing it. It's just an automatic behavior. The brain's like, oh, I know I can get an instant gratification, grab phone. So it becomes an automatic pattern that you just do. And that's my biggest concern is that, you know, we don't have the date on it yet. I might sort of be saying something that's not going to come true, but I sort of, I know that dopamine and phone usage can heavily, heavily impact our mental health. But then the projection for that is my concern about what that's going to look like for us. You know, people my age, people younger, especially like I remember a time where there wasn't phones. What are we going to look like when we're 60, 70, 80? What are the numbers of, you know, dementia going to be like? Right. It's terrifying, that numbing feeling. And then even looking at a screen, I'm sure that's so bad for your brain staring at a screen all day long. Mm, I yeah my screen time is really high because obviously I work on social media and then I'm always Mm. writing and then you know sort of go and I'll watch tv so I'm really conscious of like the weekends just completely not being on my phone and I have a very strict schedule on when I'm working and when I'm not so six o'clock it's normally around five sometimes six I just completely switch off I'm trying to switch my phone off at eight o'clock 
airplane mode in a different room where I just do not engage with it at all because it's a slippery slope, just constantly checking Instagram, just constantly checking my emails. I'm like one of those chronic email checkers. I think it's because I work with the US a lot. So I know that emails can come in in the evening and that's conditioned me to check my emails late at night. So I have a very strict schedule on, on, on the phone in the evenings. So other than us numbing out with what, whether that's social media, whether that's Netflix, whatever that is, what else do you tell your leaders, your clients to do if they want to focus better, be more organized, be more assertive, manage stress? What are some other high-level hacks that you can prescribe before doing blood work? Yeah, this is going to sound super boring, but there's a couple of things that you can do that are pretty much free, but sleep. Sleep is, I always say, it's the number one optimization tool that is free. It's a drug enhancing, well, it's, it's, it's sort of a performance enhancing drug, if you will, because when we sleep, we release testosterone, we release growth hormone, we release so many different things that help us replenish. And when we're tired, we don't have the ability to, it's called psychomotor activity. So we don't have the ability to react as quickly or you're irritable. So your colleague is trying to, you know, help you make a decision and you kind of like linger there because you can't or you snap and you, I just think sleep is the most important thing. So I get all my clients to sleep nine hours. They are lucky enough to be able to afford an eight sleep or a chili bed, which are sort of sleep mattresses that you can put on your bed and they help you regulate your sleep. So the eight sleep, for example, it has so many different functions, but it lowers the body temperature because when we go to sleep, our body temperature lowers down in, in, in time for sleep. So, so it cools you down while you sleep. It, yes, because one of the etiologies of sleep is that our own body temperature drops so that's why a hot shower at night can help you put you to sleep not because uh-huh. you're hot but because your body is trying to regulate the heat so it drops the body temperature and that is when you're so your body temperature is at its low at its lowest excuse me when you're sleeping so right i sleep best when i'm cold yeah is that normal? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because exactly. then your body temperature will be a little bit colder and it will appreciate the cold more. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. sleep, most important. Hydration, most important because our nerves, our nerve cells, our neurons communicate in the space of water in the presence of electrolytes. So if you can, electrolytes, great. There's a lot of sort of uh, question marks around the data on that. But if you, you know, if you don't want to get technical about it, just hydrating correctly. I can see you're drinking often. That's great. I forgot my bottle of water downstairs, but that's fine because I'm done for the day after this. But hydrate loads throughout the day regularly. It's the most important aspect, I think, of or the lowest hanging fruit, if you will, for performance. So. Wow. So how much water should someone be drinking? Also, I want to go back to that nine hours of sleep comment. That's <laughs> amazing. I, I do get nine hours, but I feel really tired in the morning lately. Sometimes when I sleep too much, I feel more tired. Yeah. If anyone is feeling that way too, how what kind of advice would you give them? And then we'll go to the hydration. So we all have different sort of circadian rhythms and how we adapt to sleep, how we perform in sleep. So if you're somebody that feels better on seven and a half hours of sleep, that's fine. As long as you're getting that seven and a half hours consistently and as long as you you feel okay. Obviously, you can get a tracker. You can have a look at your deep sleep. So if anyone has an Apple Watch or a, a Whoop or an Aura Ring or whatever, one of those trackables, you can see the first few stages of the night, we should be in deep sleep. Now, most people tend to sleep enough time or length hours, but they don't get enough deep sleep. So the sleep quality is diminished because for various reasons, one of the biggest reasons is phone usage. So I have clients who struggle to sleep and I'm like, okay, what time do you put your phone away? And they're like, yeah, my phone goes to bed with me, you know, and that's going to impact sleep because they, you know, but it's normal. It's not like a completely absurd thing to hear that people, you know, scroll on Instagram in bed and then switch it off and go straight to sleep, expecting to be able to go down into slow wave sleep, which is a delta wave, which, you know, you've got to go through sort of alpha, theta, delta just to get all the way down there. So, wow. and then hydration. So how, so how much water should we really be drinking? 
hard to say, depending on your body size, depending how much you sweat, depending on where you live. You know, I living in Portugal now, we've had a heat wave. I've drunk two liters, sorry, two, two liter bottles. So four liters a day with electrolytes in it. But I'm also going to, so on days when I'm doing like spinning, for example, I can feel myself needing more water. So really it's hard to say. My, my biggest trick or hack I would say is to just drink sort of consistently throughout the day so don't sort of come home and drink your two liters when you get home at night but try and sort of spread that out throughout the day all right so i'm sitting here drinking this superfood blend raspberry lemonade tasting drink that I can't not tell you about. This is my new favorite diehard product from Organifi. I have had an obsession with it for about three weeks now, and I'm having it every single afternoon as a little afternoon pick-me-up. This is the Glow Drink from Organifi. It is a plant-based natural collagen support, and it is all about skin health. It's low sugar. It's made with some incredible organic ingredients, including tremella mushroom, rosehip, aloe vera, bamboo silica, pomegranate, baobab fruit, coconut water, lemon, raspberry. There are only good ingredients in this. It tastes so good. So I'm currently drinking it and listen for some ASMR. (laughs) I don't know if that actually sounds good, but I'm currently drinking it in my glass cup with a glass straw and a ton of ice and it just tastes so freaking good and it's just something I look forward to every afternoon now and most importantly I've actually started seeing a difference with my skin. I've been really focusing on skin health over the past few months and I can't even tell you how much this has helped. My skin feels so much more even. My complexion simply feels more balanced and I run quite red so that's a huge perk. Anyway, if you guys want to try out this product, you can get 20% off your entire order at Organifi if you head to Organifi.com slash Mimi. That is Organifi spell O-R-G-A-N ifi.com forward slash Mimi and use code Mimi to get 20% off your entire order, including sale items, including my favorite vegan vanilla protein powder, including my daily morning greens powder that I have with cold water and lemon juice. And everything from Organifi is honestly vetted to be such high quality ingredients. This brand knows what they're doing. So go check it out. That's a great tip. So sleep, hydration, not numbing out on technology, spending more time just doing nothing, allowing your brain to be creative. Any other top hacks that you'll tell your clients? Yeah. So in terms of supplementation, magnesium, creatine, and omega-3 are the three supplements that and vitamin D actually. So those four supplements are the ones that I recommend to everyone. So especially women with creatine, a lot of women are afraid of taking creatine. But creatine yeah. actually, yeah, creatine kinase activity actually follows a very similar graph to a woman's menstrual cycle. So I tend to increase my creatine intake around ovulation and then into the luteal phase as well. So You'll That's see. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I then my fiance takes creatine every day, and he's trying to yeah. build muscle, and it like retains water and hit. Like he he said, Mimi, you would definitely not want this because it's like the opposite. Like you you know it retains a lot of water and and all these things. So tell me why. Like I'm so interested in in this because I've always heard. I've always been scared of it. Yeah, yeah. Most people are, most women are, most men are as well. They they attribute it to just sort of bodybuilding, muscle building. Yeah. But I do, I you know, I believe that we all need creatine, and especially women, which is ironic because we've been told yeah. otherwise. Now you will have water retention in the beginning. There'll be an adaptation process, and then that should subside over a period of time. So I would start with maybe one gram a day, and then see how you go. I take up to three grams when I'm ovulating, depending on how I feel. But I feel cognitively a lot a lot better physically as well so so other than the cognitive aspects like what are the other positive benefits of using creatine more energy more more a bit of what's like recovery so going to the gym I feel a lot better afterwards so if you think about it so creatine phosphate is a sort of ground molecule that creates energy in the body so it's the smallest molecule needed to make energy for our whole system so by supplementing that we're essentially you know, increasing the output of how much creatine we can create, which means we can then create more ATP 
So ATP is energy for the system. So yeah, I mean, I can get into the nitty gritty if you want, but it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's great. It's no, that's important. incredible. I'm, I'm currently about to ovulate just as a TMI. So I might just try it out, just put it in my morning smoothie, just a tiny amount. Yeah. And do I not take it when I'm menstruating? Like, how do you, do you have to always take it? Do you just go through cycles? Kind of give me the high level. I take it. Yeah, I take it every day. I take my, well, I say every day, obviously on the days that I remember, (laughs) because, you know, I I looked at my omega-3 supplement today and I was like, I haven't taken that in three days, but yeah, so in an ideal world, I would take creatine every day. I've also just moved, as, I, as I've told you, so I feel like my routine is a little bit out of whack. But generally speaking, I would take a gram every day and then sort of up it to two, three grams around ovulation. So there's definitely that water retention adaptation process, but it will subside over time. So cool. yeah, That's magnesium great. every day, women especially, again, women, like, you know, we're, we're not told about these things, but women, you know, for estrogen production and, you know, support around the menstrual cycle again, and anyone that even women that aren't, for example, on, you know, a, a cycles, you know, women that are still taking contraceptive can heavily benefit from taking magnesium every day. So I supplement with a supplement called Bioptimizers. They have seven in one magnesiums because there's sort of 11 different types of magnesium or essential magnesiums. And this one has seven out of the 11 in one capsule, oh, which wow. is great. And I take that every night and that actually helps me sleep as well. So for anyone that's struggling to sleep, magnesium L3 and 8 or magnesium bisglycinate. Those are the two kind of magnesiums that you can take to help you sleep. They basically support GABA production, which is a neurotransmitter that's inhibitory. So it helps you sort of slow down. I have the second one you said. The bisglycinate. Yeah. This class, yeah, I have that one. Yeah, perfect. Um, I should start taking it again. I haven't taken it in months, but I will start now. You're inspiring yeah. me. I just put a note on my little notebook. Yeah, me. good. <laughs> yeah. Again, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say the magnesium at night is really helpful for mm-hmm. sleep. So I would do the creatine in the morning, magnesium in the evening, and then omega-3. Omega-3 is showing some really promising results in cognitive function and even staving off dementia potentially there's a lot of data coming out like all the research on omega-3 is fairly new you know 2019 upwards and it's it it definitely helps me and my clients uh, think clearer and there's so much data supporting that as well so I have cod liver oil supplements is that omega-3 yeah, so depending on the dosages. So, for example, you'll see that on the packaging, it'll say sort of omega-3, and it'll give you how many omega-3s are in there. But then you want to look at the DHA and the EPA content. So those are the two mm-hmm. fatty acids that come in omega-3. And ideally, you'd want something with an EPA of at least two grams per per sort of serving, and DHA one gram around thereabouts. If you can get, those are normally the ratios, two to one. If there's anything that's kind of like, like EPA 800 and DHA 100, I would stay away from that because that's kind of like over-the-counter stuff. Solga is a brand that I actually just bought over-the-counter in like a, a supplement shop here that I never thought would have it. And it was over-the-counter and I looked at the packaging and I thought, oh my gosh, it's actually really good. So I'm taking that at the moment. But anything that's got like a high sort of EPA content is really good. Or at least a high ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're getting healthy. All right. I'm super (laughs) super excited. My brain function, I think it's because I'm staring at a screen all day long with work and I'm stressed and, you know, all that kind of stuff lately. I've been really trying to improve. So super excited to get on that. But I'd love to shift gears with you, Nicole, and talk about the reticular activating system. This is one of the things that fascinates me about the brain, something that I love to talk about most. Obviously, I'm not as knowledgeable about the brain as you, but it's something that I see reoccurringly in a lot of work. And the simplest way that I describe it, and tell me if I'm right on this, is it's a filtration system essentially in your brain, right? And the reticular activating system essentially decides what you notice. So for example, that red car example, if you are thinking, oh my goodness, I want a red convertible, you start seeing it everywhere because your brain has been now programmed to see and notice those things Mm -hmm. that you are actively thinking about. So for example, from a manifesting perspective, if you keep telling yourself, I'm a lucky person, I see opportunity everywhere, you're going to start seeing that everywhere because your RAS is programmed to filter through those things that align with that belief. Is this 
completely true. Absolutely. And this is pretty much a huge chapter in my book at the moment, because the things that we say to ourselves are really, really important. Now, you know, you say to yourself, I'm ugly. There's a couple of aspects to that. A, you're going to start looking for confirmation to prove that that statement's true, consciously or unconsciously. You're going to go through life, you know, proving, yes, you see, Mimi made a comment about my hair. It was probably a positive one, but as your bias tells you, you pick it up as something negative. Like, oh, does she think that my hair is actually not that, you know? So you start reading into things. Then there's another aspect to that. So we've got the cognitive triangle, the way that you feel affects your emotions and your emotions affect your behavior and vice versa. They all kind of affect each other. So now you have a belief about yourself. You're not very confident. You walk into a coffee shop. The barista can sense that you're sort of a bit awkward. So he tries not to, you know, make it more awkward. So he kind of looks away and he's now awkward. Now you start perceiving that as like, actually, he thinks I'm not very pretty or he's being awkward because, you know, and that like then feeds into that because, and then there's another aspect of that is like your body language is now giving off the energy of, I'm not very confident, I'm shy, I'm scared, I'm worried. So people kind of start picking up on that and that further reinforces in your belief, oh, actually, my body language is closed, so their body language is closed, so now I'm picking up that they don't maybe like me. And it's, it's just a snowball effect, right? So, which all stems from what you say to yourself, what you're paying attention to. The, you know, your eyes, your senses are taking in constant information all the time. So you're paying attention to me right now, but there's a mirror behind me. You know, in front of me, there's, I can see the view. I'm still looking at you, but I can see the sofa. I can see the sort of coffee table. I can see the TV in the background, but I'm still looking at you because there's a peripheral vision. So all of the information is still coming in. The eyes are just determining, or your brain, sorry, is just determining what is important. Right now, you're important. This conversation is important, but there's still information in the background there's still the sound of the aircon flowing I can still hear the birds outside if I wanted to listen to them I could choose to listen to you I could choose to zone in to something else so what we tell the brain is important is what the brain is going to pay attention to you know you weren't paying attention to this mirror until I said to you there's a mirror there now you're like oh actually there's a mirror there that's important right and so it is with our thoughts so you say to yourself I'm not worthy I'm very unlucky nothing good happens to me and that's what your brain is going to start looking for all of the time it's going to create like you said that filter filtration system to only bring through what can really prove you right because you don't want to be wrong the brain is not a very efficient use of our energy to be wrong all the time so we want to prove ourselves right yes you see I told you I wasn't very good looking I told you that this and we have these like internal battles with ourselves so paying attention to what you say to yourself on a daily basis is yeah very important that's the answer then, your opinion on how to fine tune your RAS to be aligned with what you want to see with your future self, your best self potential. It's changing how you speak to yourself, right? That's what you just yeah. said. So what are some actionable ways that someone can overcome the old self way of thinking and being to actually change what they're thinking to change their reality? So a lot of the time, a lot of these thoughts are perpetuated unconsciously. So we call it automaticity. So things happen in sequence without you realizing it. So what tends mm -hmm. to happen is people catch themselves ruminating probably too late or at the end, or they just do it out of habit or they do it because it feels nice. You know, so like, you know, people that berate themselves, actually, there's a, there's an element of, you know, feeling good and I put that in inverted commas in that space because we can uh, feel sorry for ourselves which then gives us comfort in some to some extent okay mm -hmm. so there's a very dangerous zone there with you know feeling sorry for ourselves and what tends to happen is that what I tell my clients for example is when you're ruminating you don't want to necessarily tell yourself that that isn't true or whatever it's more about reframing so you interrupt that thought I normally give them something positive to do. So for example, one of the biggest tools that I teach my clients is the physiological sigh. If anyone follows Huberman Lab, he's talking about it all the time. But basically it's a double inhale and a long exhale. So, okay, that is a perfect tool to help you regulate your nervous system back down. So now what's happening is you're having the sequence of neurons that are firing in a particular way to 
sort of perpetuate this negative narrative that you've been repeating to yourself for so many years. Now you're like, okay, I need to break this pattern. Nicole reminded me that actually I can put something positive in there, like the physiological sign, like, I don't know, drinking water, whatever it is. So you're now taking that negative thing and reminding yourself to remind you to do a positive thing. So the brain needs cues and triggers to remind us to do things. So you're not probably going to go through the day and go, oh, Nicole told me to do the physiological sign, just start doing it in, in the streets in the middle of nowhere. So you need something that you need to attach it to something as a reminder. So turning that negative narrative into something positive by telling yourself, actually, I'm going to do the physiological sign means that you can now start shifting that firing pattern. So you mm -hmm. are quite literally turning the negative into positive. So you go, okay, actually, I'm in this habit of ruminating and saying these things to myself. But Nick said I should do the physiological sign. So now you can start dismantling that firing pattern. And then what happens is your nervous system is regulated. You can come back to it and analyze it, reframe it with more sort of logical thoughts. Because when we're in an emotional mind state, it's very hard for us to reason with ourselves. It kind of takes over. You start, you know, embellishing and catastrophizing. But if you can do the physiological sigh, come back to it with a more logical mindset, you can say, actually, fine, maybe I'm not the most, like, let's just be really realistic about this. You could say something like, okay, fine, maybe I'm not the most attractive person on earth, but it doesn't matter. I've got all these amazing qualities about myself and I don't have to be, you know, Claudia Schiffer to, you know, operate through the world, for example. So, you know, something yeah. like that is super powerful in reframing. All right, so reminding yourself in everyday moments to think like the person you want to be. I love this because that's how I transformed my life, Nicole, because before I ever started the superhuman meditation app, I this all was stemmed because you know our meditations are for every moment of the day. They're very yeah. different. We're actually in the process of moving away from the word meditation. We've kind of come up with a new word that we're going to reveal later this year. And we're going to start that. calling it that instead because the content's just so different. It's not really yeah. meditation, honestly. So yeah. that's how I transformed my life. I started recording these like voice memos on my phone to myself, these like pep talks essentially. Yeah. And I would say how I want to feel. I would reiterate my goals. I would give myself affirmations and I would listen to this audio content throughout the day when I was living in London in a tiny apartment, wanting to make money, wanting to find a relationship, wanting to create the life of my dreams. So I listened to this audio content that I'd make every couple of weeks because I always wanted fresh content. It kind of got annoying because I always wanted something new. And I would listen to it all the time when I was getting ready in the morning, when I was cooking, when I was going to the gym, whatever it was. And that's when I've noticed the biggest change in my yeah. life. And you just saying the science behind that just really confirms that this is such a great way to transform. Obviously, you can do it without superhuman as well. But for me and my personal experience, doing it with audio content was yeah. so damn powerful. And I'm so glad you said that because I was trying to find different ways that I could implement this with my clients. And you've just given me the idea that actually they could use that as a reminder to log on to something like Superhuman App and, you know, reiterate the things that they do believe, like a, a positive, you know, whatever it is that you're going to be calling. And I agree. And I actually like that because I think sometimes the word meditation is a bit kind of like people roll their eyes at it, like, oh, here we go again. And I've used Superhuman App and I think it's completely like it's a, it, no, it's not above that. That's not the right term. I just feel like it's it's more than that in a way. Not to diminish meditation because no, I think it's course, extremely yeah. powerful. But there's an there's an extra layer to superhuman that allows you to yeah. re yeah, that helps you to rewire your thoughts essentially. So it's different. It's for transformation. Meditation yeah, is that's for the word. Like, yeah, that's it's for the word I'm looking for. Superhumans for transformation. Meditation is for peace and relaxation. Both are Love that. very good depending on what your goal is, but it's like this activating type of content and it just like really, really just invigorates you. Yeah. But by the way, yeah, I'd love to chat with you. I'm happy to give your clients superhuman. Like it's, it's something that I, I feel so passionately about. And like, I'm obviously not a neuroscientist like you, <laughs> but I love learning about the brain. I love learning about how to change habits, how to become the ultimate version of yourself from just the past almost decade of me being so interested in personal development. So 
when I started reading things like what the RAS is, how to actually change your mind and behaviors and your self-image. And then I started thinking, oh my goodness, if I listen to this content in everyday moments, and it's kind of like conditioning my mind, associating it with these things that I do every day. It's like the Pavlov dog theory, right? It's like Pavlov rings the bell, the dog salivates. What if you're doing a walking meditation every morning for 10 minutes when you are walking your dog around the block or, you know, every night when you're cooking dinner and it's just like, at some point, you don't even need that audio content to be the new self, to be the elevated, healthy, wealthy, happy version of you. Mm, I love that. And I love that because now I actually think I'm going to use that as, a, as an alternative because, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what I need is trying to divert those thoughts, trying to then turn them into something positive. So your negative thinking can act as a cue because we often do it out of habit. So you can snap that habit and go, oh, actually, yes, I can remember. Yes, I'm doing something really negative right now, but that's okay because I can turn it into something positive. I have the choice. I can log on to Superhuman. I can do the physiological side. I can do whatever and actually take control, take back control in the situation. Yeah, yeah I love that sigh, by the way, the Huberman Labs. I I remember he was talking about it. Like you had to do a deep sigh, and maybe this is a slightly different type of sigh, but from what I read, he once on one of his posts, he said, do a deep sigh in or deep breath in and then take an extra little sip at the top and then do a big audible sigh. And like, honestly, if I'm feeling so overwhelmed and stressed, I'll do that. And it immediately changes your state. It's so crazy. Yeah, that, that's it. It's, I mean, maybe a little bit yeah. quicker, but that's exactly it. So we actually have a mechanism in the back of our brain called the cerebellum uh, and the brainstem, which kind of mediates breathing rate. So when you're stressed, you'll automatically be sighing without you realizing. I don't know if you've ever noticed. I notice because I do the physiological sign. You probably have as well, but maybe pay attention to your partner. If he ever is like super stressed or doing taxes or whatever, just pay attention because you hear them kind of like huffing and puffing and getting a bit like aggy, but that's just the brain's way of trying to regulate that breathing rate back down. So it we can fast track that mechanism by forcing the physiological sign just completely calming ourselves back down. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have a few more questions for you here. Yeah. (laughs) What are your thoughts on blue blocker glasses? So no. (laughs) What? Oh my goodness. I have a pair and I'm like, oh, it's fine if I'm watching TV right before bed. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think they're very effective. I think there's one brand that is supposed to be good, but most of them are are not very effective. From what I've I've read, I haven't looked at the sort of more recent data. I remember looking at about a year ago. The most sort of, I would say, valuable thing is to just block the blue light naturally, sort of not not engaging with it after a certain time. Now that can be different for everybody, right? So if you sleep well, I always say to my clients, you don't want to get too technical about it because ultimately we're humans. We're going to, we don't want to beat ourselves up about bad habits either. We also want to have a little bit of leeway on these things. So it's about navigating life, you know, like, like with a bit of conscientiousness and uh, trying to not, you know, completely derail ourselves by having really bad habits, like going to bed at 11 o'clock and watching TV. But if you're somebody that can sleep well, so you're able to watch TV until nine o'clock and then go to sleep at 10, then I say that's fine. You know, you Mm -hmm. can obviously tune up that extra 1% if you're an athlete or if you're, you know, really pushing those boundaries, like you maybe have a a week of, like I work with clients who make sort of like important decisions, stakeholders, things, you know, things that need like immediate brain power and brain processing speed. Those are the weeks where we'll tune things up, like no TV, no mobile phones after eight. That's when we start getting really nitty gritty about everything. But otherwise, I would say like if you're somebody that can go to bed at 10 o'clock and keep watching TV until nine, I would limit screen time an hour before bed in an ideal world. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can wear the blue light blockers, but you're not going to be able to wear the blue light blockers up until 10 o'clock and then expect to go straight to sleep. So the best mm-hmm. thing is to just limit it all together. But I also know like with TV, you know, I watch TV at night and I don't think it's the devil, but yeah, no, for sure. It's really about balance. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's looking at what you work with. So if you're someone that does struggle to sleep, then maybe tune that hour back a little bit more. Eight o'clock is your limit. If you know, that's when you want to start looking at the details of things. But ultimately if you're sleeping well, you feel fine, 
I would say nine o'clock, whatever, whatever time it is, an hour before bed. I say nine o'clock because 10 o'clock seems to be the time where our body's natural rhythms align with our environment. And that's really when after that, you don't really want to be looking at blue light. That's when it starts to become detrimental to our health. Obviously, everyone has different chronobiologies and the different chronotypes on when, you know, some people are more night owls, some people are more morning people, but really 10, 10 p.m. seems to be that kind of like cutoff point for most people that after they're after like scrolling on your phone, like, you know, teenagers that are on their phone till sort of 10, 11, 12, 1. I used to, you know, I remember when phones came out, I was about 17. I had a boyfriend and I was like, I'm chatting to him all night. <laughs> That's really bad. <laughs> so don't do that. But do you see what I'm getting at? It's like you want to balance. You want to make sure that, you know, we're not getting too, too detailed about mm. everything in our lives because, that's a slippery slope as well. I'm a huge believer in finding a balance with happiness, spirituality, neuroscience, psychology, and, you know, making it all fit together. So aligned with that. So let's jump into our quick fire round. I want this quick fire round to just be really good, simple brain hacks that listeners can put to use right now. Your brain's best morning boost. What is it? <sighs> Cold shower. Ooh, yeah. okay. Cold shower, waking the brain up. Or or some breath work. If you don't want to be one of those people that jumps in the shower, breath work. Something that's like active, like a like fire breathing, mm. sort of like that can get the norepinephrine going. But anything, so your norepinephrine and dopamine is higher in the morning time. So when you wake up, up until two o'clock, or sorry, up until the sort of first eight hours, I say two o'clock because I wake up at six. So you want to capitalize on that. So if you can do something like a run and be really sort of active throughout the day in the first eight hours of your day, you can maximize the efficiency of the dopamine and norepinephrine that's available to you. So yeah. Great. What's the best way to increase confidence? Backing yourself up. So, you know, if you say you're going to wake up at six, wake up at six. If you say you're going to go for a run, go for a run. It's it's tr self-trust is what's then going to reinforce confidence in other situations. Because if you can't trust yourself, how can you have confidence around other people? Yeah. Keeping promises to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So true. What is the worst way to help someone who is anxious? I guess invalidating their feelings or, you know, not people don't understand what happens with people who have uh, anxiety. And that is that, you know, the amygdala is hyperactive, if you will. So, every, you know, I've been feeling a lot of anxiety lately. But I think it's because I'm in a new country and I don't normally suffer with anxiety. You know, I'm driving on the different side of the road. The roads are different. The roads are narrow. We live on the mountain now. So I'm like Ch -ch 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 -ch, zigzagging up and the car doesn't feel like an extension to my body. Every turn I'm like, ah, ah. And that perpetuates into everything else now because I can feel myself getting worried about little things that I shouldn't be worried about. And I'm like, oh, the cleaning was 25 euros. I'm like, I don't need to worry about money because I like 25 euros is not a problem for me right now. But I can feel everything. I was horse riding and I was like, oh my God, what about, like, should we even be riding horses? I'm like, oh my God, he's going downhill. It's just, oh, his ankle's okay. And everything was just hypervigilant, hyperactive. Everything was a concern because the amygdala is, is more active. So the fear processing is increased. So it's really hard to try and explain it to somebody who's not feeling that because the actual physiology and of the brain is different for someone who's suffering with anxiety. So it's hard. And I think that's where empathy and practicing empathy and then knowledge as well is really important because if we can understand actually someone who has anxiety, the amygdala is enlarged, it's gotten bigger because it's sort of like rewired to become bigger means that everything is going to be a concern. Wow. So we can actually shrink and increase our amygdala. Oh, that's so interesting. So what's the best way yeah. to help someone who's anxious? Validate their feelings, maybe even explain to them what's happening. You know, the amygdala is going to be active in fear processing. So pretty much everything, you know, even the small things are going to feel bigger than they should be because of this perceived fear aspect that is attached to you know the the way that we perceive the world so you know and having having that power and knowledge and knowing that we can change that as well 
I think is really important. So people might be feeling anxious right now. They don't need to feel like that forever. That can change. Meditation, obviously anxiolytics, they can all help shrink the amygdala as well. And then also like I've, I've read a book by Dr. Julie Smith. She's a psychologist. It's called, uh, why has no one told me this before? It's a great book. And she talks about anxiety and how to essentially reframe those thoughts and step out of your own comfort zone. Because the other thing with people who have anxiety is say, I'm using an extreme example. You're anxious about leaving the house because you're nervous of the outside world. So you further reinforce that by not leaving the house. But what you should be doing is leaving the house, putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations so that you can see that there's no immediate threats. It's kind of like deconditioning your brain to see that there's nothing there. Whereas if you stay in the house, you're going to keep perpetuating, okay, this, the outside's very scary. But if you can go outside, see that there's nothing. It's a bit like my reactive dog when, you know, she's nervous. So I take her to places that make her nervous, obviously keeping that threshold low. So I'm not completely like flooding her every day, but making sure that I'm having really positive um, interactions in a place that she normally finds really scary. And then going home, letting her decompress, going back out the next day. We're doing it again. This is positive. This is good. You see, there's nothing to worry about going back home. And that's kind of like, you know, how it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one. Do brain games really help the brain? I'm talking games like crosswords or Sudoku. I always talk about them. Now, the literature is constantly changing around this. Personally, I believe that even just being able to do a crossword, a Sudoku is a great skill because A, you're not engaging your phone. B, you're making the decision to do something else that is not engaging your phone. So I'm actually trying to carry a Sudoku book in my handbag every time. So I'm in the queue at the supermarket and I'm literally like playing Sudoku or I've got a crossword with me. I'm so rubbish at crosswords, but I've got my books as well. So I try and read instead of whipping up my phone, that constant sort of habitual feeling of whipping that out and using that as a distraction. So, you know, you could argue that Sudoku and all of these brain games can actually then even just help you steer away from the mindless, you know, scrolling because you're yeah. actually engaging your mind in different ways. So, you know, how that then translates into cognitive ability, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think we fully know. There's a lot of mixed data on that. There's some data to say that it doesn't work. There's some data to say that it does. I think it's a good thing. You once asked your followers what harsh truth changed their lives. What's yours? I got into a lot of trouble for that post. Um, by really? The way. Oh, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I got, I, yeah, I got into a lot of trouble for that. Oh, <laughs> but, why? You know, people, That's so weird. <laughs> because I believe that people meet each other at different points in their life. And mm -hmm. I think when you're in that state, it's hard to read those things. So I often talk about victim mentality and people get really upset with me because they think I'm victim blaming. And it's actually the opposite because you can have a victim mentality without ever having been a victim. So victim mentality is... I have a really tough job, so the world owes me something. Why is this queue really long? There's actually a book by, he's a neurosurgeon, he's an English neurosurgeon, and I love this part of the book because he says that he remembers completely derailing his relationship, and he was married three times until he decided to change. And he writes about this point where he was in the supermarket and he went sort of, his thoughts were, why should I be queuing? Don't these people know that I'm a neurosurgeon? I literally save lives. Okay. And I love that he wrote that because firstly, vulnerability. Second, the fact that he could admit that because that is the epitome of victim mentality. I deserve this. I need this. You know, and I find like sometimes I've had that with my partner where I'm like, I'm the one that's working at the moment. So you need to go to the supermarket. That's victim mentality. It's not victim blaming. And I think that's where people get the my message wrong. So it's, I'm actually glad that you brought that up. I'm on the same page, by the way. I, I'm, I'm just, yeah. you know, like with my work too, I, I always say you're 100% responsible for your life, you know, but I think that's an empowering thing. Gosh, I used to be a victim and, and I'm sure I still am in certain areas, but when I was younger and I was really going through this transformation, I was such a victim. And the moment that I really realized that I am in control of my life, I am responsible yeah. for 100% of my life, just me, my reactions I'm responsible for, all of that. I felt this empowerment come over me. And with that empowerment, I knew, oh, if I can take responsibility for my life, I can change my life. When you're in a victim mentality, how in the world are you going to change your life? You don't think it's up to you, but the reality is it is. And as you're seeing with brain you know, research and, and all that kind of stuff, it obviously is. So I definitely understand how it feels to be 
you know, yelled at online for talking about the victim mentality, but it's a harsh truth that I really think society needs to understand. I completely resonate with everything you just said, because I used to be the same. I remember going through life being like, the world hates me. The world is constantly against me. I never get anything right. Nothing happens. Nothing good happens to me. I remember saying those things to myself and like perpetuating this. And like my friends kind of like got sick of me because they're like, I don't, we don't want to hang out with you. Just complain all the time. And I was like, oh, gosh, what <laughs> despair? How dare you? And that's when I started paying attention. Yes. Oh my God. I complained so much. All I do is moan about everything (laughs) and it made me change. It helped me change. And I took control back of my life because I realized as well, I've got the power to say, do, be whatever I want. And complaining and constantly feeling like the world is against me is not, you know, the world is not against me. How could it be against me? (laughs) That's not even a thing, you know? I'm against me. Yeah, it's 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 against me. Yeah. I think it is because yeah. as we know with the RAS and your brain, it literally finds reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think one of the harsh truths, yeah, is just realizing that it was me and my own sort of nonsense, my own shit really without, you know, you can probably edit that out, <laughs> was holding me back. I was sick of my own sort of crap and I had to it was a real harsh decision because I was in a relationship with a coke addict and I felt like, why me? Like, why didn't he change? And actually it was only after I studied neuroscience, I was like, why the hell did I stay? Why was I like, what, you know, I was like looking for pity in a way, like poor me, I've been through this horrible thing that I've put myself in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, wow. Okay, Nicole, we're going to wrap this up by talking about your future self. In this podcast, I like to ask my guests who their future self is and where they see themselves in, let's say, 10 years from now, their ultimate self. Everything is happening in their favor. They're living their truth. They're living their ultimate potential. Who is future self Nicole in 2033? I think future self Nicole is somebody who's a lot calmer in their life and I think I'm entering that transition phase in my life now because I've always been like go 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 and my partner always jokes because I constantly break things I'm constantly forgetting things because I'm always there my mind's there I'm like I've got the book to write I got this I got that I've got this corporate job I've got I'm constantly on the go and that's just me I get stuff done and I'm able to you know juggle so many things in my life but I think 2023, 2033, Nicole is going to be calmer, more present, less. My biggest goal is to have a social media that's thriving, a YouTube channel, whatever, but not man, but not ever look at it. Like post and then go and not even look at the comments. Maybe have someone that helps me manage them. Maybe pulls out the more important ones, but I never want to get sucked into that life of like constantly being online. Mm. I want to be able to support people online, but then protect myself. So I think that's my goal. I love it. That is such a good goal and so inspiring. I feel very resonant with that. So lastly, where can everyone find you? I know your book, Rewired, I believe the name is, is coming out in next year. I can't wait to read this. I'm going to be one of your first buyers. Where can everyone oh, find I'm you? I'm going to gift it to you. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Where can everyone find you if they want to check out your work? So I'm only on Instagram at the moment, Nicole's Neuroscience. And then obviously the book Rewire is coming out in May 2024. It's going to be big. I've sold rights to multiple countries. It's being translated into multiple languages. It was bought by HarperCollins US and Penguin UK. So it's a pretty big deal at the moment. And so, yeah, I I hope that everyone will buy it because I truly believe I'm pouring my heart and soul into it, that it will change their lives. It will help you feel unstuck, learn about all these things that we've spoken about today and how we can essentially you know, rewire our brains to be whoever we want to be. So this is why I was so excited about this podcast, because I think we align so well with, you know, transforming ourselves. I love it. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. And I can't wait for this episode to be released. Did you know if you leave a rating or review on this podcast, the algorithm is going to target you with more content that you enjoy. So take advantage of the beautiful algorithm. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating or review on our podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.